turning to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be focusing this morning on verses 5 through 8. While you're turning there, let me remind you of just kind of where we've been in the last couple of weeks. Paul, as he rounds the corner, so to speak, and opens the vista of this 8th chapter of Romans, makes it immediately apparent that he's going to talk to us about life in the Spirit. One of the things that makes that clear is if you do a study of how frequently the word Spirit occurs in the book of Romans, you find that in the first seven chapters it's used five or six times, and in chapters 7 through 16 it's used a few more times. But in the 8th chapter of Romans, more than 20 times, Paul refers to the Spirit. So it's clear that this is his subject. And he's already told us that God has made it possible for us through Jesus Christ to be reborn by the Spirit of God and indwelt by the Spirit of God in such a way that the character of God can be produced in us quite naturally, by His Spirit living in us, if we are walking according to the Spirit and not according to our habit or our fleshly way of life. He says that in Romans 8, 3 and 4 when he says, What the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk after the flesh, but who walk after the Spirit. Now beginning in verse 5 and going through the next dozen or so verses, Paul is going to be contrasting for us the life that is the natural fleshly life and the life that is the spiritual life. He's going to be drawing out the differences, helping us to see what the fleshly life looks like and what the natural life looks like, and pointing out to us how important it is for us to walk by the Spirit. In fact, if you really want to be successful in life, and I mean successful in God's terms, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but if you want to be successful in life, that is dependent upon a life that is lived in the control and empowerment of the Spirit of God. Everything else kind of falls way short. And so look with me in verses 5 through 8 as I read them, and then we'll... See what Paul is saying to us. For those, verse 5, who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Now, one of the first things that arises perhaps in your mind as we come to this passage and we start talking about this flesh and the spirit business is, is Paul contrasting the difference between believers and unbelievers? Or is he talking about something that can be contrasted between this believer and that believer? Let me hasten to say that when he talks about the flesh, he's certainly talking about unbelievers. Because everyone who does not have faith in Christ is still living according to the old nature. And so every person outside of Christ Jesus cannot possibly be living according to the Spirit. But it is possible for those of us who have been born of the Spirit to continue to live in the old way of thinking and the old way of life instead of living in the realm that has been purchased for us. We are free to walk in the Spirit as Christians, but it is possible not to do so. The real thing that characterizes being in the flesh is the, the thinking and the attitude that governs your, your goals and objectives and behavior. And similarly, the thing that kind of uh, tells whether we're walking in the Spirit is the thinking and, and attitudes and behavior and goals and values that are spiritual in nature. And Paul begins this discussion by talking about a mindset. Now I called it in our outline, paradigm shift. The word paradigm has been bandied about in the last six or seven or eight years and in sort of a popular speaking, it sort of came out of the, the science closet into the general domain and you hear people talking about paradigm shift, but what is that really? Well, a paradigm, by definition, uh, particularly in the scientific sense, is a generally accepted model of how ideas relate to one another, forming a conceptual framework. You take a bunch of uh, facts that you that you find out there, or presumably facts, and and ideas about them, and you kind of gather them together and, and sort of develop a picture, uh, an idea, okay, what's going on here? And then, scientifically, you design experiments that uh, should either continue to uh, move the, the concept or the theory forward, or you, you find out that you were wrong and you've got to go back to the drawing board. But it's, it's, a way of, it, it's, it's a way of hanging your hat somewhere so you know kind of where you are and where you're going. It's a way of seeing things. A paradigm is a way of putting together the, the compartments of life into a meaningful whole that gives you a perspective on what it's all about, what it means. We can call it worldview. And every Christian has a paradigm or a worldview. Every human being does. You may not know what a worldview is, you may not know how to define a paradigm, but you have one. And it is the way you view life and how you interpret what's going on around you. It 
determines your goals. It sets your values. It tells you what's important and what's worth laboring toward, what's worth spending your energy to obtain. Your worldview helps you understand family and life and death and possessions and work and all of those kinds of things. It's a way of seeing. I have a pair of sunglasses that I wear, particularly like yesterday in the morning, especially it was very bright with snow. And I put these sunglasses on and they're kind of uh, amber toned in their uh, color and they are also polarized. And so uh, it does two things. The amber color kind of enhances things. It sharpens the image and the polarization takes away the glare. And it, it does an amazing thing with the world. When I'm wearing those sunglasses, especially in the fall of the year, the colors are really vibrant. Man, the, the maple trees are just vivid. They're like nothing, you know, that I've ever seen. And then I take the glasses off and it's like, oh, they're red and yellow and brown. And, you know, they're still pretty. But when I put the glasses on, man, they're incredible. Everything sharpens up and the colors get more saturated and the reds are redder and the yellows are more yellow. And I like them. They're so dark, I can't see the inside of my car very well. That creates a problem sometimes when I'm trying to figure out what station the radio's on. But at least when I'm looking out the window, <laughs> it colors my view of the world. It changes the way I see. Imagine a paradigm or a worldview as being some kind of glasses that you're wearing that either tint everything red or everything blue or everything... And, and you get used to wearing them. And if you wear them all the time, you don't even realize that things are not as they appear. You become accustomed to your way of seeing. When I take my glasses, my sunglasses off and I look out there, I realize, wow, it's glary and it's bright and the colors aren't nearly so saturated and, you know, the world looks different. How do you see the world? Paul says... Those who are in the flesh and those who are living according to the flesh have a mindset that is fleshly. And those who are living according to the Spirit have a worldview, a paradigm that is spiritual. Now, whenever we hear the word fleshly or carnal, it is our tendency to think that we're talking about gross sin. We think about sexual immorality, we think about the mob, we think about uh, illegal drug sales and use, we think about uh, lying and stealing and, and, and those baser things of life. We tend to say, well, that's carnal. That's what carnal means. But according to the Scripture, while that's a part of carnality, that's only a relatively small subset. The Bible tells us that the whole world lies in the evil one. Again, we read that verse, and, and with our carnal glasses on, we tend to say, oh, I, I know what that means. <coughs> There's a lot of wickedness in this world. There's sin everywhere you look. People are, people are in all kinds of things. But that's not what the Apostle means when he says the whole world lies in the evil one. 
He's talking about your local city council. He's talking about the banks. He's talking about Congress. He's talking about nations and politics. He's talking about business and economics. He's talking about man's desire for the acquisition of things. Even the pursuit of the normal things of life, shelter and food and clothing. The Apostle Paul tells us that the whole world, the system of the world, is governed, influenced, controlled, directed, motivated by Satan. Everything in it. And those who are in the flesh are right in there with that mindset, thinking that this is what it's all about, with little awareness of the fact that what they're pursuing is purely in the horizontal humanistic plane. I thought about civilization. You know what civilization is? It's two or more people working together to satisfy their desires. People that come together and say, you know what, if, if we would pool our resources, we could make a better life for ourselves. So why don't you take your ability to farm and you grow some food and I'll take my ability to make things and when you bring me your food, I'll give you my shoes. I can make shoes, and this person over here can make clothes. You bring them your food, they'll give you their clothes. And then somebody else says, well, I can, I can build pretty good houses. I can make shelter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a house if you'll bring me your clothes and shoes and food. And they all kind of come together and start working together to mutually better their lot in life. That's called civilization. That's called society. Those are the things that move us toward greater comfort, greater security, greater accomplishment. Look what we can do together. And when human beings cooperate together, they're basically doing it at bottom line in order to improve their own desires and their own lot in life. And the Bible says that that whole system is consumed with humanistic, self-centered thinking that is controlled by the evil one. God is out of the equation, and all we're basically doing is looking for a way to make our lives better on this planet. It's a purely horizontal viewpoint. And the Bible tells us that those are in the, who are in the flesh live in this realm. Now, I want you to take note of what I'm saying, because you can do a lot of things that appear to be altruistic and beneficent in that kind of mindset. You can make a lot of extra money, and you can, can, can give it to build a school. 
you can accomplish a lot of things and maybe go together and say, I think I'll serve the community and, and help fabricate some laws that will make our society better and I'm going to be a politician and I'm going to uh, be on the city council. Let's get together and take some of our resources and create some parks and have some beautiful places where people can go and sit and enjoy nature. You can do a lot of beneficent things in the flesh. Purely living in a horizontal plane that is humanistic, in, in other words, human-centered. And Paul says that is what characterizes the paradigm or the mindset of the flesh. Those who have a spiritual mindset have a completely different perspective of what it's all about. And never was there a clearer contrast drawn than when Jesus sat down with those people on the side of the mountain as it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5 and he began to teach them and somewhere along in there, he said to them these startling words. I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. I don't want you to even think about it. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about where you're going to live. Don't, don't get caught up in that. Your father knows you need those things. What I want you to get caught up in is focusing on God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make him your priority. Let God be your focus. And let him worry about all that other stuff. I'll take care of it. I know that you need it. How many of you here this morning, don't raise your hand, just think about it. How many of you here this morning would like to walk out of here without a care in the world? No worries. No concern for retirement. No concern for your investments. No worries about how you're going to pay your taxes or your house payment or no concern for, you know, how you're going to pay those college bills or put clothes on the kids or just no worries. Would you like that? That's what Jesus is offering. The mindset on the flesh is all absorbed with those things. And Paul says in verse 7, the mind set on the, or verse 6, the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Depending on how you view the world and depending on whether your relationship is, or, is oriented horizontally or vertically, he says, is the difference between whether you're investing in death or whether you're investing in life and that investment in life comes with a bonus. You get peace in the midst of it. No worries. You get peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by 
prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which goes beyond comprehension, that means it don't make no sense. It goes beyond comprehension. Will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Paul is contrasting two amazingly different ways of looking at the world. And he says the carnal mind is caught up in the affairs of just living and moving forward and getting stuff and, and making a family and acquiring and, and advancing in a career. It's, it's all consumed with that. We're not talking about selling dope and, and, and murder and mayhem. We're talking about ordinary life is the carnal mindset that dwells there. And what God is offering is a different kind of life that has a completely different viewpoint, that sees it from a perspective that is elevated. It's kind of like the bird's eye view. It's, we're back to flying here for a moment. It's that heavenly perspective that looks down and in the eyes of God makes much better sense out of all of it. And so Paul says, if you have that carnal mindset, that natural mindset, the end of it is death. What you're investing in is death. How many of you have ever uh, experienced theft? Someone has stolen something from you. Have you experienced that? How many of you have experienced a break-in where they came into your house or office and took it? You know, I asked that in the first hour, surprise, there was about seven or six or seven people in the first service that had, had break-ins. Do you know the sense of loss when you've had something taken from you? And, and when someone steals something, maybe, you know, uh, you left it somewhere or you turned your head for a moment and they took it and you're missing that and you think, how could somebody just, how could somebody just do that? How could somebody take that? But then the feeling when they've been in your house or in your office and they've gone through your drawers and they've looked through your things and they've, they've opened your cupboards and they've taken something that was yours. And a couple of years ago we had a break in here at the church and I had a couple of small, basically, fire safes. They were just there to protect um, papers and things in my credenza, and they, they crowbarred open the doors. And then they were too lazy. I've always got stuff on the floor, and they were too lazy to move it. They just jerked the door off the credenza and tore it up in the process of opening it, and they took the safes out. And, you know, they didn't have any money in them. I'm sure they were looking for drug money, and I'm sure they were thinking when, you know, when they got wherever they were and they broke in, man, we're going to find Sunday's cash offering, like we all give cash and, you know, like we leave it hanging around the pastor's office all week. I don't know what goes through people's minds, but pretty stupid. But anyway, whenever they got where they were going, they, they got into those safes somehow and... They found finance records and they found passwords to uh, computers and websites and servers and things like that and uh, created mayhem in my life for a couple of days as I called it, you know, the banks and all that kind of stuff and, and had to change everything and, you know, found a few checkbooks and, 
They found some other things that I had put in there that had value to me. They didn't have value to anybody else. And I'm sure that those safes are now resting peacefully at the bottom of the Fox River or some other body of water or landfill somewhere where they threw them after they realized all that effort was useless. But it violated me. And those of you that have had that kind of experience, you know the sense of loss that you have. Let me ask you to imagine something with me. Imagine coming to the end of your life and standing at the judgment seat of Christ and seeing your whole life trashed before your eyes, burned up in the fire, and the ashes thrown in the river. And you just stand there kind of like, that was my whole life. Somebody just came in and took it all away. Actually, you're the one that took it all away. You wasted it. Because the scripture says that's what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like. He's going to examine the investment of our life. And what has eternal significance is going to survive that judgment. And what has only temporal, earthly value is going to be consumed. What was done in the flesh is going to burn up. What was done in the spirit is going to survive. And some of us are going to be standing there at the judgment and we're going to realize there ain't nothing left. It's all gone. Because the whole life was lived in pursuit of carnal values, natural values. And Jude tells us that those will be saved as if by fire, like a brand plucked from the burning. We'll even maybe have the smell of smoke on us for a moment, because... We have nothing left but the ashes. John put it this way, do not love the world. Don't love the world system. Don't love it. Don't get caught up in it. Don't love the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the desires of our body, the lust of the eyes, our wanters, the the the. the Lust of the pride of life is all passing away. All that's in the world is passing away, and all of it's lust. And only what is in God is going to last forever. So it's very important that we recognize the distinctive difference between what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit, because the Bible is telling us here that if you're living in the flesh and you have a fleshly paradigm, worldview, mindset, that you're going to be investing yourself in that which has zero significance. And when you're done, it's going to go away in the fires of judgment. You might be saved because you put your faith in Christ and you've trusted Him to to cleanse your sin, but you never got it. You never connected with that higher perspective. 
and you've lived your whole life in such a way that when it's done, it's not going to have any eternal significance. It's death. The mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Paul says there is a marvelous way to transform all of that into something that has eternal value. There's a way to live life that has significance. I heard a friend give a testimony this week, and it, was, it really stirred me. It was a powerful statement. This person said, I was looking for what I thought was a different job and realized what I needed was a purpose. Whoa. That is a powerful statement. Because what God does is he comes to us and he says, I can give you purpose. I can give your life meaning. You were not meant to just occupy space here and suck air and water. You were intended to make a difference. You're a light bearer. You're a container of my spirit. You're, you're the tabernacle in which I live. And I designed you that in communion with me, your life should have an impact and make a difference. Even before the fall, Adam and Eve, their mission was as the tabernacle of the holy God to bring his presence into the garden. And in redemption, God wants to restore that purpose in us. So that the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. What is life? It's that which survives eternally. It's that which lasts forever. Life is what goes on after the world has stopped. And God is telling us there is a way, when you're connected with me, and living in this vertical relationship, and we're flying together, to go back to that analogy, we're soaring with the eagles. We have that heavenly perspective. We're not caught up in this world system, but we have God's viewpoint that everything we do can be transformed into life and eternity and value. We were having communion in the first hour this morning, and Russ prayed over the bread, and as he was praying, he said something that just, I hadn't thought about it in quite those terms, and it really stirred me. He says, Lord Jesus, you never lived one day of your life in the flesh. You lived every day in the Spirit, all the way to the cross. And what gripped me about that was I started thinking, okay, so what did Jesus do? He went to a wedding feast. Some of us went to a wedding feast last night. We shared dinner and had some time with Mike and Melissa Hendricks. We went to a wedding feast. He had dinner with friends, so he went, he went out and had dinner with friends. He ate, he slept, he walked, he talked, until he was 30 years old from the time that he became probably an adolescent. He worked in his father's carpenter shop. What did he do there? He carved wood, he fitted things together, he made stuff for people, he made yoke for oxen perhaps, or cued uh, uh, out timbers for beams of a house, or, you know, sounds like work to me. 
he did stuff. He just did ordinary stuff. And here's the amazing thing. He never did any of it in the flesh. He did it all in the Spirit. Isn't that cool? How would you like for your work, what you do, the stuff you do, say at 2.30 tomorrow afternoon, how would you like the stuff you're doing to have eternal value? That's the cool thing about life in the Spirit. It can have. You don't have to leave church here this morning and say, well, that was the spiritual part of my life, now it's back to the flesh. We're talking about something that goes all week long. When you invite God in His temple to come into the equations of life and to bring His presence to bear, everything you do, God knows... What does Jesus say? Don't worry about food, clothing, you know, where are you going to live, where are you going to sleep, that kind of stuff. Don't worry about that stuff because your Father knows you need it. He didn't say don't worry about it because you don't need it. He said don't worry about it because your Father knows you need it. You have to eat. You have to sleep. You have to buy clothes or make them. You've got to do something. You can't go run around naked. Your Father knows you need it. So don't get hung up there. Get hung up with a different viewpoint while you're going about that stuff. Bring Jesus into the equation. Walk in the Spirit. You know, what do you do? How do you do it? In a couple weeks, I was talking to Kevin last night. In a couple weeks, he's going to be going to a place of service in North Africa with the Navy, but he's an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You know? I don't know what Alan's doing out there in the desert, but <laughs> it's, it's some weird highfalutin stuff. <laughs> but he's an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You know? When you're making a surgical pump, Tom, when you're treating a patient's back, you know? When you're visiting with friends and singing around the piano, you're doing, as the ambassador of Jesus Christ, stuff that can be transformed in the Spirit to something of eternal significance. Because you're bringing Jesus into that place. And you realize that the thing itself is not as important as bringing Christ into the, into the equation, manifesting His presence, being the, the, the ambassador of Jesus Christ in this time and in this place. And I'm not talking about, you don't have to hand everybody a gospel track and say, did you know God loves you? I mean, it's true, but you, you don't have to go that direction. But when you go to the grocery store, is it the fragrance of Christ in your life that you leave trailing in the aisles as you encounter the workers and other shoppers and stand in line and check out? And is it that fragrance of Christ that you leave in that place, or do you leave something else? Do you have an understanding that what's really important here is where this person I'm looking at right now is going to spend eternity. 
I will never get in your lab. They probably wouldn't give me the security clearance. And if I got there, no one would listen to me because I, I don't have any credentials. I have nothing to say, but you're there for a reason. And the people you look at, the people that you talk to every day are going to spend eternity somewhere. Can you see what's important in this moment? And as you eat and drink, Paul says, do all to the glory of God. Can you worship the Lord in the mundane things of life, celebrating? You know, I got just stunned the other evening by a sunset. I'm kind of weird that way. But I was just amazed by the color. You know, and I see God in his glory and his grandeur. And I was just watching the hues and color and the, and the way it was changing and the light on the clouds. And it was just so amazing. And, and I, I was just, I, you know, it kept pulling my eye. That doesn't seem like a terribly spiritual activity, but it, it, it is. As I worship the Creator and marvel at His creation. Those who are in the Spirit bring life everywhere they go. And because we are in the Spirit, He has an impact God's presence permeates the ordinary things in such a way that they take on eternal significance. You've heard me say this before, but you remember the tabernacle when they cleansed all the stuff. And, and, and one of the things that just really impressed me is when they cleansed the tongs for the altar. What do you use tongs on an altar for? You know, you're either stirring around the logs or you're flipping the meat. What, what do you use tongs for? I have some with my barbecue grill. But a good Jew would be horrified if I wanted to take that into the temple. Because those tongs in the temple were holy. Well, what made them holy? It wasn't how they were shaped. It wasn't what they used them for. It was the fact that they were devoted to God and became vessels that were set apart for His use in the service of worship in the tabernacle. And that imagery goes right into the New Testament, and it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight, that your life might reflect in its devotion what is your reasonable service of worship. You are the tongs now. And you're just a person, but you're devoted to God. And your life is filled with His presence in a way that you bring Christ into every situation. Do you have that perspective? Do you know what's important? Do you have a heavenly vision? Do you see it from God's point of view? This world is passing away. Where are your goals? Where are your values? What are you after? And I'm not taking anything away from the intrinsic value of doing something well in and of itself. That's a part of God's nature in us. 
But everything becomes transformed when it's done in the Spirit. Paul goes on to say, Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, it's not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Very quickly as we conclude, think about those statements. Friends, we may have come to Jesus Christ for salvation and forgiveness and cleansing of sin, and we may have experienced a new birth. But if we are living in that horizontal plane with a humanistic perspective, only interested in the things of this, of this life, the scripture says we're hostile to God. You can't be neutral. You cannot be neutral. You know, you think of people who are hostile to God as those who are out shaking their fist and blaspheming and, and those kinds of things. Well, they're hostile to God. No, the Scripture says, if you're not walking in the Spirit, you're hostile toward God. There is no middle ground. You, you can't be on the fence. You're on one side or you're on the other. Which side are you on? Now, it says those who are in the flesh cannot subject themselves to the law of God. We're not, we're not talking about the Ten Commandments here. We're talking about God's life, God's presence, God's spirit, God's character being formed in us. Those who are in the flesh cannot submit to that, that principle of God working himself out in our lives. In fact, we're not even able to do so. Because when you're stuck on yourself, that's all there's room for. And those who are living in this plane for themselves cannot even begin to submit to the law of God. They have no ability to do godly things. What are some of the things that you can do in the flesh? Well, I've already mentioned you can, you can run for politics in the flesh, you can build buildings in the flesh, you can do your work in the flesh, you can build a church in the flesh, you can teach Sunday school in the flesh, Watch churches and pastors sometimes in building programs and see how much flesh there is. As they get all focused on how it's going to look and how big this room's going to be and what kind of carpet we're going to have there. And, 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 and churches get split over stuff like that. It's like, what are they thinking? But it happens. I was in one where it happened. It happens. You know, and you just, you can, you can do that kind of stuff in the flesh, for sure. Because you're doing it out of your own desires, in that horizontal perspective. For the mindset of the flesh is not able to subject itself to the law of God. He says, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I don't think we realize sometimes how wide the gulf is between the flesh and the spirit. But if you are living purely in that horizontal plane, you can't just every once in a while pop your head up and Make God happy. He says you cannot please God. 
You can't do it. What you do on your own, what you do by yourself, what you do for yourself, what you do in the flesh for others does not please God. In fact, the Bible says God hates the garment that is even spotted with the flesh. There's nothing about our lives apart from the Spirit of God that can please God. You can't do it. But if you're walking in the Spirit, there's life and there's peace. And your life takes on eternal significance and has meaning, bringing God's presence into every situation. Father, I want to pray this morning that we would see the difference, that we would get it, that we would understand it. And Father, help us to realize this morning, open our eyes to see that there is a huge difference between walking in the natural humanistic mindset and walking according to the Spirit. And in that difference, the consequences are not just a little of this and a little of that. It's the difference between death and life. It's the difference between glorifying you and not even being able to please you at all. This morning, O oh God, put within our hearts a desire to live life after the Spirit, to be those devoted servants filled with your Spirit who recognize our high calling and go out of this place determined to be instruments, vessels <coughs> fit for your use. <coughs> to bring your life and your presence into everything we do. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.